It's time for the Daily Stand-Up Podcast presented by Agile Dad with your host, Lee Henson. Without any further ado, let's get started. For those of you who know me well, you probably know there's not very many people that I totally geek out over. But there is one that I've geeked out over consistently ever since I wrote a book, and that's author Kim Scott. Kim is just fantastic. Every single thing that she touches resonates with me. And that's saying a lot because, eh, you know, there are many authors who I admire, but oftentimes I say, oh, that piece of their work, I just didn't connect to that. But with Kim, every single thing she's written, I've connected to. So if any of you out there in my world, in my large network, in my net, know Kim personally, please extend her that I definitely want to get together with her into a podcast episode because I would love to have her featured on my podcast. I think it'd just be a great joy. So um, if we start talking about um, Radical Candor, her book, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity, I love it. Uh, She has a topic in the book that she recently wrote a little article about. And I wanted to talk about her article on my Friday Agile, not so Agile episode, because this doesn't necessarily apply to business agility. This applies to just living life. The topic is, how to persuade others you've made the right decisions. Now, what I can tell you is this topic is gold because (laughs) so many times I hear people say, I don't want to make a decision. I'm like, why? What if I make the wrong decision? This whole episode is about not focusing so much on whether you make the right or wrong decision. Well, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to steal the punchline. Let's go through her article. We're going to go through it together and I'll drop a link to her article, uh, on her Medium page down below. And what I can tell you is, uh, as usual, this is just an outstanding post. So here we go. So she says, your team has managed to come to a decision, but there are still people who don't agree with it, common. The same people (laughs) will be responsible for helping to implement it. If you're working efficiently, not everybody in your team is involved in every step of the listen, clarify, debate, decide process for everything, just the relevant people. Now that a decision has been reached, it's time to get more people on board. This isn't always easy, and it's vital to get it right. Persuasion at this stage can feel unnecessary and make the decider resentful of people on the team who aren't fully in agreement. The decider has painstakingly gone through the listen, clarify, and debate steps and made a decision. Why doesn't everyone else get why it's obvious we should do this, or at least be willing to fall in line. But expecting others to implement a decision without being persuaded that it's the right thing to do is a recipe of te- for terrible results. I agree. And don't imagine that you can step in and simply tell everyone to get in line behind a decision, whether you've made it or someone else has made it. Okay, this, I'm gonna pause there. This is important because what I can tell you is I've been around so many different people in so many different arenas that make decisions. And what I can what I can say is consistent is that sometimes when you don't get any buy-in at all and you don't talk to people, it ends up being a disaster because they feel like they weren't involved at all in the decision. But then on the flip side, if you think that you can just walk in after making a decision and say, all right, you know, make a decision every time and walk in and say, all right, I've made a decision and this is how it's going to be, that's not going to work either. <laughs> so... So where is that medium, right? Even explaining decisions is not enough. 
because that addresses only the logic behind the decision you made. You have to address your listener's emotions as well. And you must establish that the decider, uh, whether it's you or somebody else on the team, has credibility if you expect others to implement the decision that came. Authoritarian bosses tend to be particularly weak persuaders. They don't feel a need to explain a decision or a logic. Just do it. Don't question me. And because they usually don't know or don't care <laughs> how the people on the broader team feel, they don't address the emotions. They fail to establish their credibility because they expect people to do what they say simply because they're the boss. But even more democratic, open bosses often get so lost in explaining the rationale for a decision that they forget how people must feel about it or vice versa. If you have done the basic work of radical candor, of getting to know each of your direct reports personally and establishing a norm of open exchange, this process will be a lot easier. But even then, being persuasive doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. Many leaders I've worked with fail to be persuasive because they don't want to come across as manipulative. And the line between persuasion and manipulation can be a fine one. Aristotle. Oh, I love that she brought up Aristotle. If you want to look up, I have another podcast where I talk about Aristotle being one of the first uh, agile coaches. It's, it's an incredible article. Anyway, so let's see what she says. Aristotle is troubled that so much rhetoric and persuasion came down to manipulating people's emotions. He thought that there had to be a better way to get an idea across to a large number of people who don't have the time or knowledge to understand it completely. He resolved this by explaining that to be legitimately persuasive, a speaker must address the audience's emotions, but also establish credibility and share the logic of the argument. These are the elements of persuasion that have stood the test of time. To help you be more persuasive and to teach the deciders on your team to be more persuasive, the rest of this time will cover briefly Aristotle's elements of rhetoric, pathos, logos, and ethos, which will translate loosely as emotion, logic, and credibility. I love it. Let's start with emotion. Emotion. The listener's emotions, not the speaker's, when trying to persuade you might have a strong emotional connection to a decision. It might be that you see it uh, leading a change that's likely to help a large group of people. But if you fail to take into account the listener's emotions too, you simply won't be persuasive. I had a colleague, we'll call the colleague Jason, who was responsible for making his product usable for deaf people. He couldn't have been more passionate about this work. His mother was deaf but he was unable to persuade the engineering team to prioritize certain key features in time for the launch. When I showed him Aristotle's framework, he exploded. I don't know how I could have put any more emotion into my arguments, he said. His voice was choked with frustration. He'd explained to them his personal connections to the project. They seemed moved, but they still did not get it done. What were the, uh, what were the emotions in the engineering team like, I asked? Oh, they were just exhausted. They've been pulling all-nighters for weeks. It was like a death march over there. What did you do to address their emotions? Jason smacked his forehead, seeing clearly now what he'd done wrong. When Steve Jobs made his 2003 announcement that Apple would launch iTunes for the Windows platform, he knew he was doing more than just announcing a new product. For the Mac faithful, any accommodation to Microsoft was nothing short of betrayal. The logic behind the decision to launch iTunes for the Windows platform was sound. 
To win the music industry, Apple had to be on a platform that had over 90% of the market share, not just Mac, which at the time had under 5%. But leading with this logic only would have made the Mac faithful angrier. So instead of he acknowledged their incredulity, he acknowledged their incredulity and disbelief with the headline hell froze over and took their emotional response seriously by reassuring them that Apple would remain true to its core. Dick Costolo, when he was the CEO of Twitter, was the master at connecting with the emotions of tweets, people who worked at Twitter. I have scrutinized many employee engagement surveys. I thought it was impossible to do better than Steve Jobs. Well, over 90% of Apple employees reported feeling positive about their CEO, but an even higher percentage of tweets felt positive about Dick as their CEO. Dick's warm sense of humor helped him connect to the people's emotions and earn their trust, which made him a persuasive leader. Dick often had everyone at Twitter's company's all-hands meetings doubled over with laughter, most especially with his unexpectedly candid responses to somewhat hostile impromptu questions. I asked him how he came up with responses, he said. With a characteristic smile, unfortunately, those responses just come to me. <laughs> if you don't happen to have experience as a stand-up comedian, you can still borrow a page out of Dick's book. He recommended several great improv classes to other leaders in Silicon Valley to help them find ways to have fun answering all the awkward questions at all hands meeting instead of dreading them and trying to formulate a pre-composed response. Credibility is one of those things that's hard to articulate, but you know when you see it. Part of it obviously is knowing the subject and demonstrating a track record of sound decisions, but it also requires a third component, humility which sometimes is in very short supply. Steve Jobs, not always thought of as a model of humility, had a knack for inserting some aw shucks elements into his product announcements. For example, at the 2010 iPad launch, Jobs started by saying, we started Apple in 1976, 34 years ago. Now, 34 years later, we just ended our holiday quarter with $15.6 billion of revenue. I don't believe that. Now, what that means is that Apple is an over $50 billion company. Now, I like to forget that because that's not how we think about Apple, but it is pretty amazing. Behind him was an image of two geeks with a clunky box, a reminder of Apple's humble beginnings that the fact Apple was driven by a zeal for building products that could change the world, not just a desire for profit. This added context allowed Jobs to point out that Apple had the expertise and resources to create a whole new category of computers without losing the audience. Note in particular carefully chosen language in a sentence. Now I like to forget that because that's not how we think about Apple. The we here is the most important part of establishing humility for himself and the entire company. But how do you establish credibility if you don't happen to be Steve Jobs with a track record of so-called Schumpterian change? or if you're so new that you don't have much of a track record at all. Focus on your experience and past accomplishments. Be humble and invoke a we, not an I attitude whenever possible. Bragging doesn't work, but neither does false humility. Don't forget to establish your credibility or help the decider on your team establish theirs when it's time to persuade others or an important decision. Let's go to logic. Show your work when persuading your team. Most people expect that the logic part of persuasion will be the easiest since it, does, since it doesn't present the personal awkwardness of establishing credibility or require psychological finesse of addressing a collective set of emotions of a group of people. 
and yet it contains its own traps. Sometimes the logic may be self-evident to you, so you fail to share it with others. When you know something deeply, it's hard to remember that others don't. The good news is that you've learned a secret to sharing with your logic in high school math class. Show your work. When Steve Jobs had an idea, he wouldn't just describe the idea, he'd share how he got to it. He showed his work. That signaled that if a flaw was in his reasoning, he wanted to know about it. And if there, if there wasn't people, uh, if there wasn't any uh, flaw, people would be more likely to accept the idea. Showing his work was what strengthened his logic and ultimately made him not only persuasive, but always getting it right. I like that. If you have a team of 10 or few people, you probably don't need to schedule a separate meeting to make sure everyone is persuaded that the right decisions have been made. However, if your team gets bigger, you need to start thinking about how to bring everyone along. It's shocking how fast decisions of some people uh, may, may start to seem uh, mysterious or even nefarious to people who weren't close to the process. If your team is 100 people or more, a regular all-hands meeting will help really get everybody to get broad buy-in on decisions being made and also to learn about dissent. Silicon Valley is, a big, is big on company-wide all-hands meetings. They love to do those things. Apple's is called a town hall. Dropbox is Whiskey Friday, Google's is TGIF, Twitter's is Tea Time. I think you see where I'm going. There's something to be learned from how all hands meetings are done. Uh, and the ones in Silicon Valley are usually have, have been a model for the best. Okay. So if you think about it, there's lots of information here. I'm, I'm paraphrasing some because I want to make sure we stay within our time limit. But I think the most important thing is that we need to make sure that we understand and that we are pressing forward with um, with how things are run. You know, people love presenting at these meetings. Uh, your team wants to stage, show them the stage. Q&A is usually handled by CEOs, founders, and other people, but sometimes the answers can be awkward to those questions that come in that are just not what you wanted to hear. I always admired the way Larry Page and Sergey Brin handled Q&A at Google's TGIF meetings. Larry and Sergey took on all sorts of questions week after week, and they never used that over-prepped, over-messaged tone that CEOs fall into. Their answers were invariably spontaneous, human, and totally authentic. And I think that's the message here. We can be authentic, and we can be deeply authentic, but we need to understand that life needs to be filled with more radical candor. Lose yourself in humanity without losing your humanity, and be a kick-ass human. That's going to do it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, stay healthy, stay well, and stay agile, my friends. Do take care.